And I said last week that one of the distinguishing marks of a follower of Jesus, one of the distinguishing marks of somebody who is reaching and pursuing maturity in the faith, one of the distinguishing marks is generosity. Generosity. And it's because that's so important that we take time each and every year and we just do a little mini-series at the beginning of the year that deals with generosity. I'm continuing and concluding this mini-series this morning that I've simply been calling The Generous Life. Now, notice I didn't say a generous deed here or there or a generous day or a generous week. I think that God calls us, those of us who follow Jesus, I think he calls us to live generous lives. And the word generous just simply means to be liberal in giving or sharing. It means to be categorically unselfish. And we discussed last week that generosity begins, and I read this quote from the Character in Action website, generosity begins by reaching an understanding of what it means to do good, helpful things for others, and then generosity acts to consciously, consciously excuse me, and consistently do for others things that are both good and helpful, even at personal sacrifice. So generosity comes from reaching an understanding of what it means to do good things for others consistently, consciously. That's on purpose, even if it costs you something. And I would go as far as to say that real generosity will always cost you something. Real generosity will always put you out. And so this is where generosity begins. But also when I read my Bible, I discover that generous living or the generous life is the good life. It's the good life. When we consider what we've been put on this earth to do, boil it down to two things, love God and love people, that's the greatest commandment, we're essentially put on this earth to give ourselves to God and to give ourselves to others. If that's not generosity, folks, I don't know what is. And so I found that those who embrace this type of lifestyle, who find themselves on the path of obedience, which includes giving yourself to God regularly and giving yourself to others in practical and meaningful ways, these folks tend to live the good life. Now, I'm not talking about they tend to be the wealthiest, because often they're not. They often don't live in the biggest houses and have the nicest stuff, but they have an understanding of what they've been put on this earth for. They have an understanding of what this life really means, and so therefore, they live the good life. And last week, I began this series by talking about generosity in giving, or generosity in tithing, or contributing to the kingdom work, contributing specifically to your local church. This morning, I want to continue and conclude this mini-series by talking about the generous giving of our lives, ourselves, to other people. Because last week we talked about giving of our resource and our time and our energy to the kingdom of God, most practically expressed in the local church. And today I want to talk about giving ourselves to others. I'm calling this talk simply, Give Yourself Away. Give yourself away. Might be news to some of you, but there's more to you than your material wealth. There's more to you than your material wealth. There's more to you that makes up you than what you, how much money you have or how much resource you have or your earning potential. And for some of you, that's news to you because our society tells us otherwise. Some of you, that's incredibly freeing because, well, you don't have much in material wealth. You don't have much in material resource. And society tells you that that's what uh, makes you who you are. That's what gives you your value and worth. But the scriptures tell us something different. 
There's more to you than your material worth. And so when God looks at you, he looks at all of you. He looks at all of who he made you to be. He looks, he looks at all the gifts, talents, the resources, the influence, the wisdom, the relationships you have. And that is collectively what he considers you to be a steward of. That's what makes you, you. And so when we talk about being generous to others, we're basically talking about the giving of our time, our talent, our resource, our wisdom, our treasure, our money, our power, our influence, the faithful giving away of those things to other people. And so for the purposes of this talk today, we want to expand our idea, our thinking of what it means to be generous beyond giving money beyond giving stuff, beyond doing favors, and we want to expand it to include what it means to give yourself away to other people, to do so consciously and to do so consistently for the greater glory of God and for the well-being of others. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture this morning, Matthew chapter 6. Feel free to turn with me there this morning because I know you brought your Bibles with you. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a Bible on the edge of your row. Feel free to turn with us to Matthew chapter 6 this morning. You could also follow on your phones if you have your phones. We'll also be projecting the scriptures on the screens. Matthew chapter 6, we'll start at verse 19. But first, let me pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity to come before your people. I thank you, dear Lord, for the opportunity to share your word, to impart truth and wisdom. And Lord, I pray that you would teach us this morning what it means, what it looks like to live a generous life, to not be overly consumed with taking care of ourselves, to not be overly consumed with preserving ourselves. Lord, give us wisdom in this way. Many of us just need help in understanding just what you expect from us, what it means to grow in generosity, to live the generous life. And Lord, so we humbly submit to your truth this morning, humbly submit to your way. And we ask, Lord, that you would have your way this morning. Father, I pray that you would put power on these words that you've given me to speak. Move the preacher out of the way this morning, Lord, so that your truth and your light might shine through, God. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 6. We'll begin here. And this is square one. This is the foundational truth about generosity towards God and towards others. I'll begin at verse 19. Jesus says this, don't store up treasure here on earth. Powerful sentence. Don't store up treasure here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store up your treasure in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, wherever your stuff is, wherever your resource is, where the treasure of your life is, there the desires of your heart are will be also, I'll read that again, verse 21, wherever your treasure is, wherever your stuff is, wherever your valuables are, think larger than money, think larger than our coins, there the desires of your heart will be also. And so what Jesus tells us in these short verses is, listen, store up your treasure in heaven and not on earth. Tells us that here on earth, the moth can destroy it, thieves can break in and steal it. And some of you are thinking, how can I get a hold of this savings plan? How can I get my money and my stuff someplace where thieves won't rob it and moths won't destroy it? That sounds like a good deal. Jesus explained that to me. 
And so this isn't particularly a natural idea, but it's a figurative expression that basically encourages us to invest our resource, our life, our stuff in things that matter most in the grand scheme of eternity rather than things that are temporary and earthly. I'll say that again. Jesus is encouraging us. He's challenging us. He's pushing us to invest our time, our energy, our stuff, the essence of who we are, in things that matter most in the grand scheme of eternity rather than things that are fading and things that are fleeting. We talked several weeks ago about what it means to choose well in this new year. And we used a passage of Scripture that encouraged us to choose well means that we think on things eternal rather than things that are temporary. In other words, we make each and every decision of our life based on what will matter most in the grand scheme of eternity. To simplify, each and every decision should be uh, filtered through this. What does the Lord think about this particular move that I'm about to make right now? This particular expense, or whether or not I date this person, or whether or not I accept this career, or whether or not I fudge the numbers on this report, or whether or not I file an accurate tax return. All these decisions should be filtered through not what's going to make me happy right now, what's going to be the most profitable for me right now, what's going to make the most people happy right now, but rather, does this decision honor God? Does this decision honor God? And that's a life altering paradigm through which to think, through which to choose, through which to decide. It makes all the difference in the world. And so Jesus localizes this to our stewardship of the resources that have been given to us. Again, not just our money, but our life and all the stuff that make up our life. And so what Jesus is encouraging us to do is we sort of kick off this idea. He's encouraging us to adopt eternal values as we decide where we invest our stuff. Time, talent, energy, resource, treasure. That makes sense? That makes sense? And so just as a starting point, I just want this morning, I want to examine three things that Jesus personally challenges us to do as it relates to being generous to other people. As it relates to being generous to other people, number one, Jesus challenges us, as we see in this uh, It's a little passage that we just read. Jesus challenges us to submit to a treasure audit. To submit to a treasure audit. Now, that word audit around this time is like some of you just gripped your seat a little bit because we're nearing tax season. And if you've ever been audited, you know that that is a grueling process and there's nothing pleasant about it. And so relax because we're not talking about taxes or anything like that. But we are talking about making an honest assessment of where your treasure goes. You're the steward of your treasure. You're the steward of where you spend your time. You're the steward of where you spend your energy and resource. And so sometimes I think that we just have a, we have a, we misassess where we are putting our resources. And it's not like you're trying to fudge the numbers. It's not like you're trying to cheat. But I think that oftentimes our stated values and goals don't particularly match our actual ones. In other words, you can say all day long that you want to watch your diet and that you want to pursue a healthy lifestyle and that you want to get that beach body that you've always been wanting, but your lifestyle, how you walk things out, you know, the regular stops at the Dunkin' Donuts, the espressos, the cheeseburgers, all those sort of things, those kind of go against 
your stated goals. And so in the same way, we can say, Lord, I'll give anything to you. Lord, I'll give myself freely to those. I'll submit my life to doing your work. That's what we say because we sing that in the worship songs, you know, that are on screens. We hear the preacher talking about that. But when we do an audit, when we do an assessment of where our resource actually goes, when we get the statement, we see that our stated goals or our stated values don't particularly match where we allocate our human resources. And so what Jesus asks us to do often is to submit ourselves to a treasure audit. Why? Because verse 21 tells us that wherever your treasure is, wherever you allocate your stuff, that's really where your heart is. And I say often that you don't need to tell me what your values are. You don't need to tell me what you value and what you're interested in and where your passions and your desires lie. What I usually say to you is is just show me your checkbook register or your bank statement and show me your schedule and I'll tell you what you value. I'll break it down to you in specific detail what you value because I'm looking at where you allocate, where you place your treasure. And Jesus knows what you value. He just kind of knows that sometimes we're a little fuzzy about it. And so oftentimes he asks us to submit to a treasure audit. Last week we we looked at a passage of scripture that dealt with the story of the rich young man. I won't read it this morning, but I'll just recap it. The young man comes up to Jesus and says, listen, hey, I want to follow you. I want to do ministry with you. Can Can I be one of your followers? Can I be one of your disciples? Jesus says, great, keep the commandments. He says, listen, I've kept the commandments. I'm a good guy. Jesus says, great, you're a rich man. Go sell all your stuff, and then come follow me. Scripture tells us that the young man went away sad. Why? Because he was very wealthy And he wasn't quite interested in making that particular investment on that particular day as Jesus particularly asked him. And so the scriptures tell us that he went away sad. He forfeited an opportunity to follow Jesus because he didn't want to put his money where his mouth was. Didn't want to put his valuables where his stated desires were. And so we're often faced with these moments of truth. These very honest moments where we actually come face to face with the reality that our stated values don't match our actual expenditures. And I don't know about you, but that's a really sobering moment for me. When I'm in a hurry and I see a person in need, or I see a person who, you know, this might not be one of those quick drop generous things, but it might prolong, it might stretch out. I got to be someplace. This person is particularly difficult, or this is going to really stretch me, or it's going to really put me out, or it might raise some questions with those that are watching. And I really come face to face with these moments of truth, just like the rich young man, where he had an opportunity to really show what he was made of, really show what he really valued, really show whether or not he had a desire to follow Jesus and to lean into this thing. We are often faced with these moments of truth. Some of you had moments of truth this week as you consider what it means to be generous with your resource to God and his kingdom and his pursuits. And you realize that when you sit down, man, I want to write that check. I want to write it for 10%. I want to write it for a generous amount, but something is taking over my pen and I'm just writing 
you know, a smaller denomination, a smaller number. Something takes over me in those moments, and we're faced with those moments of truth. Why? Because who we are overrides any superficial thing that we can say out of our mouth. You can make your mouth say anything. You can make your mouth say anything. And sometimes you genuinely feel that. You're in a moment, you're in a sermon, you're in here with the worshipers, the Holy Spirit is moving, and you just feel, you just say anything. God, I'll give my, I'll sell my house and I'll follow you. I'll give everything to the point, and you just, you really mean that, you know, in that moment. But then you have a little lunch, you take a nap, and then you go, what was that all about? What came over me? Well, you really want to honor people in the way that they deserve to be honored. You really want to treat them well. But something comes over you, a bad day. You realize something that they did or said to you, and in those moments you... And so this is why this isn't a situational thing. This isn't a mood-oriented thing. This is a commitment to using our lives and using our stuff in the way that is, that is, that is, that is um, acceptable to the God that created us. And so the important question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is where does your treasure go? particularly as it relates to loving others, particularly as it relates to who has access to you and your treasure, your time, your energy, your resource? Is this something that you just use for yourselves or is it something that's available to others? You really have to do business with that question as a follower of Jesus. You really have to do business with that question as it relates to pursuing a measure of spiritual maturity and growing up in faith. You really have to ask and answer that question. But this can be a tricky question for some because we're generous, kind of. You know, we're liberal in our giving, sort of. We generally will move heaven and earth to help people with one exception. They have to be our people. They got to be my people. And depending on who you are and what your values are, that my people can mean anything. It can mean this right here. It can mean race. It can mean ethnicity. People who understand the struggle that's connected with our people. It can mean race. It can mean socioeconomics. It can mean sexual orientation. Even it could mean religion. And we get caught up in this us and them thing. It could be my family and versus those who are not in my family. It could be politics and how you vote and how you choose and how you decide. For those of you who are school age and high school and, and that sort of thing, I mean, you know really there's an us and them culture within the school system. The cool kids versus the not-so-cool kids or the jocks versus the not-jocks. The people that sit at this lunch table versus the people that sit. This is for everybody. This is for everybody. And so there's a particular strand of selfishness that disguises itself as generosity because we are liberal in giving with our people, people that we like or people that look like us or people that vote like we vote or people that live in the neighborhood that we live in. Come on. And so God doesn't want us to be rocked asleep by that because he still calls that selfishness. And so on all these levels, I realize, men, that I still struggle with the my people versus the other people. I still struggle with that, particularly as it relates to matters of race and, you know, politics and stuff like that. I realize that my natural leaning is to naturally lean towards folks who, who, who are like me. 
You say, come on, pastor, you're in a, bi- you're in a biracial couple, you have mixed-race children, surely you don't struggle with racism, with prejudice. I wish I could tell you that I don't. I wish I could tell you that I don't. Come on, pastor, you pastor an intentionally multi-ethnic church. Don't tell me that you wrestle with these issues. The honest truth is that I do. I have preferences. I have leanings. I've been black for a long time. Okay? And so, if I'm honest, I naturally lean that way. I naturally prefer that way. Those things. And, and so, in, 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 in leaning certain ways, you, you, you naturally lean away from other things. You naturally despise certain things or belittle certain things. And it's usually the case that you just don't understand those things. And if you got to know people, and if you got to love them, you'd, even if you weren't crazy about their customs and their ways of doing things, you at least come to respect them, which is why it's so important to do life and community with different types of folks. My wife and I are always asking each other, hey, why do white people do this? And she was like, why do African-Americans do this? Is there some reason to that? And usually there's an explanation. Sometimes there's not. I don't know. I don't do that. <laughs> but we're all different, right? And so there's this real struggle with us caring for our own people. And Jesus doesn't really give two nickels about how you treat your own people. He does care about that. I don't want to be misleading. But you don't get off the hook because you take care of your own people. In fact, this is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. We'll start at verse 43. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. That's a bold statement. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends his rain on the just and the unjust alike. Get this, verse 46. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're only kind to your friends, how are you any different from anyone else? Even pagans do that, but you are to be perfect or holy, even as your Father in heaven is perfect and holy. Is there any misunderstanding what Jesus just said to us? I mean, does that really locate us? Does that really put our, Jesus puts his finger in our chest and says, listen, who are you to decide who you show my love to? Who are you to decide that these people have access to the hope of heaven that shines through me and these folks don't? Who are you? Now, we've got some short memories. You forgot who you used to be last week? You forgot what you used to be messed up in? You forgot what was being said about you behind your back that was being truly stated? We forgot. And so far be it from us to decide who Jesus' love and his favor and his mercy and his light should be exposed to. And Jesus goes further and says, listen, you don't get any brownie points for taking care of your people. He says corrupt tax collectors, sinners do that. The pagans, evildoers, Satan worshipers do that. Jesus says, be holy as I am holy. Shine this light everywhere. And so that seems like, so, 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 so take that out of the sky for me. What is Jesus really saying? Shine your light everywhere. What's the deeper meaning if like, can we decode that? Shine your light 
everywhere. And as unmanageable a task as it seems, Jesus is saying that each and every person should have access to the hope and the light and the resource of heaven through you. And so if we're confused about that, we need only remember what we said last week, is that everything that we have, all of our resource, all of our stuff, all of our talent, all of the stuff that makes you you, is on loan to you. It's God's anyway. It's God's anyway. And so what the Lord is saying to us is that every single person ought to have access to the stuff that I've loaned you because I loaned it to you for them. Now, you can graze on it. You can snack on it, you know. But everything that I've given you, I've given it to you to bring glory to me and for the well-being of other people. Your fruitfulness is not just for yourself. Your treasure is not for yourself. It's for the greater glory of God and for the well-being of other people. And until we understand that, we won't live generous lives. We won't be a blessing to other people. We simply won't. We simply won't. And some of you today, you thought that you were doing really good by being generous to just your folks and your family and your children. And that is a strand of generosity, but there's more to it. There's so much more to it. There's so much more to it. Jesus is challenging us to do a treasure audit And as we realize where our stuff is actually going, many of us realize that our stuff is going primarily to ourselves and to our people. And so the second thing that Jesus would challenge us to do as we look at what it means to live the generous life, he challenges us to move the fence. To move the fence. And you say, preacher, what do you mean by that? There's an old story, a World War II era story that tells a story about how some soldiers brought the body of a dead friend to a French cemetery to be buried. When they got there, the priest asked if the dead man had been a Catholic, but the guys said no. They said, hey, probably not. And the priest said that the man could not be buried in the graveyard because he wasn't Catholic. The priest said, hey, you can take him outside the fence and you can bury him there. So these guys are just like, man, that's kind of bogus. So I go outside the fence and bury their friend And so the next day they came back to check on the guy to see if the grave was all right. And to their astonishment, they could not find the grave where they had buried uh, their friend. They walked up and down the grave. They took a whole lap and they couldn't find it. And so puzzled, they went to the priest and said, hey, man, what happened to our friend? The priest said, listen, I was so troubled by what I told you guys last night. I was so troubled that I had turned you away. I got up early this morning and I moved the fence to include your friend. I moved the fence to include your friend. I think this is a powerful story, a wonderful illustration of what Jesus is constantly asking us to do as it relates to what it means to live the generous life. We've all got a fence. We've all got a fence. If you say you don't have a fence, you've got bigger problems than we initially thought because you're a liar too. We all have a fence. Some of us a high fence, some of us a short fence, But we've all got a fence in which we include those that have access to our stuff. Through which we include people who are acceptable to us for one reason or other. Through which we can include those that we will give access 
to the hope of heaven, to the resources, to our stuff, to our money, to our time, to our energy and effort. And the fence usually include your definition of my people, our people, my kind. And so what Jesus would challenge us to do is to move the fence. And eventually what we would find is that there's no fence at all. Because if Jesus had a fence, you and I probably wouldn't be in it. We probably wouldn't make I'd probably be like, hey, let's go around the back and you can hop in the fence and we can get in there and see maybe if you'll notice. Because if, you know, if, if Jesus operated by our standards, who, who of us you know, would make it in? Maybe me and you know, a few others, maybe Mike. <laughs> I'd put in a good word for Mike and he'd come in. But no... We wouldn't make it. We simply wouldn't make it. And so we, we see how ridiculous it is to have a fence. Yeah. Ridiculous to have a fence. And can I also just say that it's human nature. Yeah. It's human nature to try to find somebody to climb on top of so that you're not on the bottom. You can fill this room with people who have the exact same uh, socioeconomic status, exact same, you know, um, earning potential, the exact same skin tone. They could be exact replicas of each other, and our human nature will find a way. Find a way to figure out who's elite and who's on the bottom. We'll find a way. So this isn't something that rich people do to poor people or that one ethnicity done to another. This isn't exclusive to one group. This is, ex- this is exclusive to humanity. And so it's a problem that Jesus is commanding that we root out of our life. He challenges us to move the fence. We, some of us have heard the story of the Good Samaritan, right? Jewish man is traveling through a dangerous part of town. He's jumped and almost nearly killed by bandits, right? Jewish priest comes by and says, man, I'm not dealing with that. Walks on the other side of the road, leaves the guy there to die. Temple assistant, guy works for the church, Passes by the same way, looks at the guy and crosses the other side of the road. But the Samaritan, which Jews have no dealing with, they have a mutual hate for each other. The Samaritan sees this guy in the gutter, sees him dying, bandages his wounds, puts him on his donkey, takes him to inn, and pays his rate and says, listen, if these charges go over, just bill me for it. Take care of this guy until he gets healthy. And Jesus, as he's telling this story, says, which of these guys was a neighbor to that man? His fellow countrymen? fellow Jewish brothers, church folks, surely the preacher would stop, you know, surely the deacon would stop. And Jesus says, who was a neighbor? Who was a friend to that brother? Who was generous with their life? The time he risked his neck because maybe the bandits were lurking and lying in wait. He risked everything to help this person. And this is the perfect picture of what it means to move the fence. The person who had no business helping This Jewish man, as he lay dying in the road, moved the fence to include him. And so, as followers of Jesus, man, we got to do business with this. Well, you say, I'm not a follower of Jesus. Well, you're here for a reason, and I'm just telling you how this works. We got to do business with this. So, who are your people? And where's your fence? Who are your people? And where is your fence? So Jesus challenges us. I'm going to fix this real quick. Getting too long. Is that better? All right. 
So Jesus challenges us to do a treasure audit, further challenges us to move the fence. And the third thing that Jesus challenges us as we look at his word and his truth, Jesus challenges us simply to forgive. Challenges us to forgive. And you go, come on, preacher, you're getting a little off subject here. What does forgiveness have to do with generosity? So I'll answer your question with these questions. Are you generous to those you hate? Are you generous to those that you hate? Are you generous to those who you despise? Are the folks that have wronged you on the inside or the outside of your fence? I don't answer because I I already know the answer. Those questions are completely rhetorical. And so there in those questions, as we answer those questions, we see what forgiveness has to do with generosity. And so Jesus understands that if we don't forgive, then those people will never, ever be fully welcomed on the inside of our fence. He knows that those folks will never fully have access to the hope of heaven that you should be spreading indiscriminately everywhere that you go. And so Jesus has some strong words for us as it relates to forgiveness. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But Jesus says, but I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. He continues, so if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Now, this is, this is heavy, man. This is heavy. I mean, it's not deep. It's not, you know, like we're not going to try to decode this because I think the meaning lies here on the surface. And so often when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, which is a passage of Scripture in the um, sort of uh, earlier verses of uh, the book of Matthew where Jesus is giving the sermon, he's talking about the Christian life, he's talking about what spiritual maturity looks like, he often makes statements like, you've heard it said this, but I say to you. And basically Jesus says, I know this is your understanding of how things go, I know this is how you've been understanding it, how you've been reading the Scriptures, how you've been walking things out, but Jesus says, I'm going to raise the bar a little bit. I'm going to push you a little bit further into what it means to live the generous life. Jesus says, you've heard it said that you must not commit murder. Jesus says, I'm going to raise the bar and say that anger outside of righteous anger is not a sin to be angry. It's a, a sin to be embroiled in ongoing unrighteous anger that gives birth to other vices and other sins and other matters of of discord among the the brothers and sisters. But Jesus says, I say that if you're angry with somebody in an unrighteous way, it's like unto murder. And so Jesus really paints a picture for us about this whole business of forgiveness, about having these accounts stretch out over periods and periods of time and not doing everything you can do to make peace and to be at peace with other people. Jesus makes a big deal out of this because he knows that you won't live the good life if you're not walking in the freedom of forgiveness. You won't live the good life unless you're walking in the freedom of forgiveness. I'm not talking about riches. I'm not talking about wealth. I'm talking about being the person who God put you on this earth 
to be. You will not be that. You will not do that. You will not live that if you are saddled with unforgiveness. Yeah, but they did this. You won't live the life. You won't have access without forgiveness. Yeah, but they said this. They hurt my children. They spoke unkindly about me. They molested me. They took advantage of me. They stole my innocence. They wiped out my fortune. They betrayed my trust. Jesus says, I know, I know, but you have to forgive them because that's what I did for you. That's what I did for you. And so many of us are content to stop short with this generosity business and our offerings to God. In fact, some of you could have taken the week off last week as we talked about what it means to be generous with your resource to the kingdom work and the local church because you don't struggle at all there. You get set out of your house before you took your offerings and did something else with it. That's how, core, you know, that's how much of a core conviction it is to contribute to the kingdom work. But on the other side, we're a little shaky as it relates to being Uh, generous with others, particularly those who have wronged us. And so Jesus says something really powerful to us in verse 23 here. He says, so if you are presenting a sacrifice or giving an offering at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Get this, the Lord is saying, now listen, your worship to me can wait. This is the God says, worship me with all that you are. Put no other gods before me. This whole wisdom uh, worship business is central to who we are as followers of Jesus. But God says, listen, worship to me can wait if you have earthly relationships that are on the fault line. Your worship and your sacrifice and your offerings to me can wait if your interpersonal relationships are broken. If there are things that you've left undone that could patch this thing up, if you haven't extended the olive branch, if you haven't been the first one to initiate a truce or to extend forgiveness, Jesus says this way. And, and it's just interesting that Jesus says, if you remember that someone has something against you. Now, he doesn't even say, like, if you have something against somebody, if you wrong somebody, this, that, and that. If you think for a moment that somebody has something against you, you leave your offering there. You could come back to worship me, but you go and you take care of that with your brother. What does that speak to us about how God values a connectedness in our interpersonal relationships? Why? Because he understands that without that forgiveness that binds people together or that reunites them or reconciles them, then we will be stifled as it relates to generosity. We won't give of our resource. We won't give of our time. Are you purposefully spending lots and lots of time around people who you've not forgiven? Are you? Are you purposefully engaging and speaking kindly and leaving friendly messages on their Facebook page? Are you doing that? Are you... You saw them in a ditch, (laughs) you know? Are you likely to? Probably not. Probably not. And so this is what Jesus is getting at. Loves our worship. Loves our singing. Loves our offerings that that we give to him. But we see here that he much prefer that we square away our relationships so that 
the people that he's blessed us with, the people who he's put in our life can have access to the hope of heaven, to all of that kingdom light and resource through and from you. Now that's not real complicated, but that's really, really hard to work out. It's really hard to work out, especially if you've been wronged, if somebody's done you wrong. They don't seem to be reaping any of the benefits of it. You know, I'm sorry, the, the consequences of it. They've gone on with their life. They seem to be having fun. And every time you see them, they seem like they're, they're having a good life. And every type of picture you see on Facebook, they just seem like, you know, they're just thriving, even though that's probably not the case. It's just, it's just hard to, to walk this out. But Jesus commands that we forgive. Commands that we forgive. And so as we wrap this all up this morning, we go back to the first thing that Jesus wants us to do, and that is to submit to a treasure audit, to ask ourselves the honest question. Worship team, you can come up. Where does your treasure go? And you probably expected me to tell you to give money to the homeless guy when you see him, and you should do that because he's hungry. You, you probably wanted me to tell you today to take risk. And to not be overly concerned with, you know, absolutely the specifics of where your good deeds will end up. And I'm going to tell you that because I think that's important to take risks and to not demand to know the specifics of what happens with every dime and every good deed that you do. I tend to tell you all of that, but I want you to do the hard work and I want you to do business with God today. I want you to wrestle with whether or not your stated values match your actual ones. And you need only look at your pocketbook and your date book. And those will tell you the picture. And so many of us, if you're like me, we will be disappointed at ourselves when we discover where our true value lies. And so God would encourage us to what? Move the fence. And to move it again. And to move it again. And to move it yet again. And frankly, you know, you'll get some, some shovels and a pickaxe and you'll start to dig the fence up because you realize that there's no fence in God's economy. No fence there. And if you're bold enough to do those first two things, the hardest thing lies last, and that is to walk in forgiveness. That's the walk in forgiveness. That's the walk in forgiveness. And I will go as far as to say, I believe that the Spirit of the Lord is here today to bring the power to forgive. I'm not talking about somebody took your parking spot or, you know, dinged your car. I'm talking about those deep hurts that only a couple of people in your life really know about. I'm talking about the profound stuff that happened to you as a child that you carry with you. I'm talking about those deep things. Maybe even married couples here, maybe the infidelity or something like that, that undercurrent of distrust, undercurrent, everything that happens, every argument, no matter if it's about the milk or the sugar or picking up the kids, everything traces back to that offense. That, that's what the Lord wants to deal with today. That's what he wants to deal with today. Because if you can deal with those things, you will know that your life is not your own and that your stuff is not your own and you will give it freely and liberally to anybody that the Lord tells you to to give it to. So I want to deal with the root issues because I think that Jesus wants to deal with the root issues today. Will you let him? Will you let him? If your answer is yes and you really mean that, then you will live the generous life. You will live the generous life and you will have that life more abundantly. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity 
to share with your people just the truth about what you expect from us. Lord, we know this morning that you don't condemn us, that you don't belittle us, you don't cast us aside, you don't shake an angry fist in our face, but you lovingly draw us in. You lovingly draw us in and you challenge us to do more and to be more and to, and to, to be the people that you've called us to be. Not that we have to earn your love, Lord, but you know the best life possible for us is lived on the path of obedience. And that path of obedience often requires us to do some very difficult things, to ask hard questions and to stand there and listen to the answers. And so, Lord, we've come this far. I ask, Lord, that you would give us the strength and the courage to let you finish what you've started today. And Lord, for those of us who need to see with clear and sober eyes just where their resource goes, Lord, would you show them that? For those of us who need strength to move the fence, whatever the fence may be, Lord, and for those of us who need that power from you to forgive, Lord, I pray that by your Spirit you would move us in your direction. We ask these things humbly in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen.